Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, it is so good to be back. Um, can I ask you just to turn me down just a little bit? Because if I start yelling, people are going to think I'm mad at them, and, uh, and I'm really not. But it is a real privilege to be back. And if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Paul Whittingstall. My wife with me is Sue. And um, I have the privilege to serve as the Canadian Regional Director for the Great Commission Collective. We were here back in the early part of July and love this church. I, I was just sitting there listening to you sing. And you're not our biggest church. Okay, but pound for pound, you sing better than any of our other churches anywhere that I know of. And I, so it's just a blessing to sit there and listen to you worship together and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. So it's great to be able to be back. I prefer it wasn't in the circumstances that we are in, but we are in them and the Lord will take care of us. So open your Bibles up to Titus chapter 3. If you need a Bible, just put your hand up. There's folks who will uh, come and hand you one. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you feel free to take it and uh, take it home. Don't think you need to sneak it out. You don't need to put it in your purse. It's not like leftovers at the restaurant, right? It's just, uh, this Bible's for you. If you need one, uh, you just have it and, uh, and use it. And I trust it will be a blessing uh, for you. So we're going to be in Titus chapter 3 today in a message that I've entitled, Thinking Clearly in a Foggy World. Uh, thinking clearly in a foggy world. I don't know how much opportunity you have to, tr to travel and drive in the fog, um, but it's, it's difficult. And uh, I was with a guy one time, we were down in the Smoky Mountains in the States, and it was so foggy, you could hardly see the front end of the car. And we're two men, we're not smart enough to stop, right? We just try and keep on going. But, um, you know, when the fog is there and things aren't clear, it can be difficult for us, and there's lots of things in our world, there's lots of things in our lives that are, are foggy. You could call it the fog of war. You've heard those words probably before. Talk about the fog of war. It's just not clear, like who's right and who's wrong and what's going on, and they talk about the fog of war. You talk about the fog of politics, like that's a real fog for us. Like who's right, who's wrong, who's the fog of politics? The fog of the economy. The fog of moral decay, the fog of violence, the fog of political unrest, the fog of social norms and how they're changing, the fog of violence that's out there. How do, how do we think clearly in these foggy, confusing days? How can we make sense of all of this? Now, I'm not pretending I'm going to give you the answer so that fog will be clear on all of those things we just talked about. Uh, the world is filled with that as a result of sin, most of it, and it's always going to be like that. But as followers of Jesus Christ, where do we find ourselves rooted? Where do we find ourselves focused during these times? You see, um, Paul Whittingstall has a problem. I got a lot of them, but I got a problem. When stuff's going on in the world, I become a news junkie. And it's not a healthy thing. If you're listening to the news more than you're reading your Bible, you need to fix that problem like right now. Um, because you're, it's just feeding the fog that's going on around you. And so when something happens, I get caught up in it. And I, I just love to hear all the stories and all the rest. And, and then I find myself getting filled with anxiety about things I have no control over. Many of them have nothing to do with me. And um, here's the reality. The battle is for your mind. The battle is for your mind. The Bible says, 
as a man thinks, so is he. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brothers, or I urge you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Um, and, and the text goes on, it talks by the renewing of your mind. See, the battle is for your mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2 says. And, and so in the midst of all of this world that we live in, in the midst of all that's going on around us, the battle is for your mind. How you think, as a man thinks, that's, that's what he is. That's what he is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The word repentance in the scripture, I think I've talked to you about this before, but the word repentance in the scripture is more than just a changing of direction. It is a changing of direction. Repentance means I was going in this direction and now I'm turning and I'm going in this direction. But the problem is if you don't change your mind, you'll fall back to what you were doing before. And that's why people struggle with whatever it is in your life that you struggle with because like, oh, no, no, I can't do that anymore. And so you break your computer or you, you get an accountability partner or you do, and all of those things might be necessary, might even be good things for you to do. But if you don't change your mind, you're going back. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So with that, in, with that in mind, let me read to you Titus chapter three, verses one to 11. Remind them to be submissive to, to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done for, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, and he is self-condemned. So Lord, as we look into your word tonight, would you teach us? Would you teach us through the power of your spirit? Nothing will be accomplished in this place tonight without the working of your spirit in us. And so, Lord, we trust you. We trust the working of your spirit to conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. And, Father, as we think about thinking clearly tonight, would you guide us? Would you make us willing to set aside the things that are causing us to take our eyes off of you, the things where we have fixed our eyes on other things? 
and then, Lord, fix our eyes on our Savior, Jesus Christ, the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's dive right in. Here's the first thing I want us to look at at this text, and, and that's the qualities of a clear thinker. If you're a clear thinker, these three things will be in your life. They're found right in the text. They're, they're found in verses one and two. The word be appears three times. And so it's not, it's not an optional thing. It's not like, if you think you might want to do this, do this. No, it's not like that. It's like, be this. And so if you want to think clearly in a foggy world, here they are. You'll be able to pick them out as I read them. Remind them, be submissive to the rulers and authorities and be obedient to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. Three Bs. The first one is be submissive. Be submissive. We live in a world where we're not supposed to be submissive to anybody, right? I'm the king of my castle. I rule my roost. That's not what God's word teaches. Um, submit to one another, Ephesians 5 says. Right before it talks about wives submit to your husbands, it says submit to one another. And then the greatest picture of submission is, is, is us as men and churches submitting to Jesus Christ. We are to be submissive. But in the text here, it talks about remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Rulers and the authorities, that's the people outside of the church, the magistrates, the government officials, the police. There's been a lot of discussion in churches over the last two years about like where are the lines and all of that. And believe me, I'm not going to try and write that book. It's a, it's a difficult thing. But the Bible teaches us to be submissive to them. And how you get to the conclusion, you've got to work that through. But here's the reality. Unless somebody's telling you to do something that goes against God's word, then be submissive. Be submissive. Pay your taxes. Don't speed too much. <laughs> I drove all the way from Toronto. I had to put too much in there because... <laughs> I was hoping when I got on to 416, it changed to 110. It doesn't. It's only on the 417 going down to Montreal. Like, what's wrong with these people, right? It's like, <laughs> be submissive. Be submissive. One of the ways we demonstrate our submission to authorities is by prayer. See, it's easy to complain about the government. It's easy to say how awful they are is it no matter who it is, what side of the fence you're on, where you go with this. But here's the reality. The Bible tells us we're supposed to pray for these people. And, and so how much time have you spent, whatever the, whatever the authority is that's over you, it might be in your workplace, it might be wherever, how much time do you spend praying for these people? Because there's a litmus test for you on the submissiveness of your heart under God. You want to think clearly don't be the first one in line complaining about what's going on. Be the first one on your knees praying for them and praying for their soul and praying for direction. I was uh, talking to a pastor a number of years ago. He was an American at the conference center I, I, I served at. And, and uh, we were talking about the role of the church in politics. He made a great comment. He said, my job, he's American, remember, he said, my job's not to change Washington. My job is to see people saved one at a time. And if the church of Jesus Christ did what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to do, 
Washington would change. Along with that, though, he was a man of great prayer, praying for leaders, praying for them. And so it starts out in the text of the qualities of a good, a clear thinker. You need to be submissive. And so where does that struggle? When I say that word to you, what, what, what just comes up? You're just like, no, I don't want to do that. Because maybe that's the reason you came to church tonight. Maybe that's what the word you needed to hear so that you could start thinking more clearly about some things. And the reason you're not thinking clearly about things is because you've got things in your own heart and your own mind that you've put on the throne and they are the important thing and you've taken God off the throne in those things. The first thing he says is be submissive. Here's the second one. He talks about being active or being obedient. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work obedience in the family, to the authorities, in the church. Um, if you know God's word is telling you to do something, you've been wrestling with it in the last year or so, a month or so, week or so, you've read God's word and you're like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not, you're not thinking clearly. Like if God's word's telling you to do something, be obedient to it. I don't know this church. I know the church that, that we serve in. And uh, lots of people in that church have never come to the place of being baptized. It's like, God's word's clear. God's word's clear. That, that people who are followers of Jesus Christ is the way that they demonstrate their obedience and identity with Jesus Christ and his death and burial and resurrection. And, and you're, maybe you're there. I know a guy who sat in our church. He was 40 years old. He had never been baptized. He had served in leadership in other churches. And I'm preaching this message. And he's like, you're talking to me. And he, I have to do this because God says to do it. And I'm, I'm just not doing it. Well, what is it that God would have you to do? Where, where's the piece of, of unfaithfulness that the Lord's calling you to, that you would come and you would say, I will be obedient. Maybe it's in serving somewhere. And it's like you come to church and, and, you, and you're blessed by it and you love it. And, but a part of the, the work of the gospel in our lives, not only that we would be people of God who worship God and, and who live together in fellowship, but that we serve it's a part of the, it's part of the work of, of the body of Jesus Christ. Clear thinkers are submissive. Clear thinkers are obedient. Uh, clear thinkers are prepared. Uh, be ready. Be ready for every good work, it says. Be ready um, for every good work to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And be ready. You see it. And you do it. You don't worry about if anybody else sees it. Don't worry about if anybody else gives you a pat on the back for it. Just before the Lord, I'm going to do the right thing. As I'm traveling in our churches right now, and this is not just true in GCC churches, this is church all over the place, and coming out of COVID, people are tired. They're tired. I was a small group leader through COVID. We were on Zoom. I hated it from the day it started. I hated it the day it ended, but I was faithful and I'm tired and I'm ready to stop. Really? Why? Well, I'm, I'm tired. Don't grow weary in doing good. Don't grow weary in doing good. 
Now, there may be circumstances where you need to step aside. For, there may be a reason why you need to step aside, but I'm tired is a terrible excuse. I, um, I'm tired. I've had a hard summer. We, we started our summer here. That's not what made it the hard part. It was just the beginning of it. Then we went on and, and traveling through the churches. I was in Alberta twice. I was telling the guys when we prayed. I was in Alberta twice in August, never saw the mountains because you're just running from meeting to meeting, meeting with people, right? And, and it's like, oh, oh, woe is me. Poor me. When did Jesus say, yeah, I, I, I just need a break? Like your sanctification, you're going to have to set that aside because I got no time for this. I'm tired. We live in a tired world. We all have the same amount of hours in the week. God help us to use them well. Turn off the TV. Stop watching that many football games. Stop watching Oprah. Stop knitting. I don't know what it is your thing is that consumes your time, but stop doing those things. And if you need to rest, find rest, but find rest in the Lord and then serve him out of those things. Be submissive, be obedient, be prepared. Don't let us grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. First Peter uh, 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that then they speak up against you as evildoers. They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So those are three qualities of a clear thinker. How are you doing in those things? Where are your priorities in those things? So let's move on in the text. Clear thinking. Take a look at what you were. Take a look at what you were. In verse three, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, hatred by others, and hating one another. Paul says we, for we ourselves. So he wasn't just saying you people out there. This is what described all of us before we were in Jesus Christ, before he was saved. James 4.1 says, what, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? What you were before you were saved. You know, one of the things, I find this in my own heart, but I, I, I've, I saw this when I was a kid growing up when, when you were like trying to present the gospel to somebody or in, in our church. It was like, yeah, we need to get that guy kind of cleaned up before he really comes to Jesus, right? And we get that all backwards, right? You, you don't get cleaned up to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus in your mess and allow him to clean you up. Don't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. Don't expect the world to live in ways that are just what the world does. It says in the text, foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Does that sound like our world today? Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating others, continual, habitual, Remembering that we were also once foolish, disobedience, and deceived should build, um, should build characteristics in us. Knowing what we've come from and what we were should change us. And when you, when you sit there, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should sit there with an attitude of gratitude for how God changed you. 
how he brought you from death to life, how he took you from no hope to the hope of eternal life. It should be a gratitude. It should be humility as we see what it is, his work, his work that changed me. Christ being in the very form God did not think it robbery to, to hold on to that but let him go and he died the death that I couldn't die. He paid the price that I couldn't pay so I could have the life that I didn't deserve. It should humble us. It should humble us. It should bring us to a place of kindness and, and gratitude and generosity out of what God has done. And then it should bring us to a place of faith, faith that God can change those who are still in that place that you were. Is there somebody in your family and you've been praying for them and they're not, they've, they're, you don't get to write the script. You don't get to bring them to Christ. You don't get to be the Holy Spirit in their life, but you want to be because you want this for them, but you want it for them and you're trying so hard and you're not relying on the Lord in it. Lord, help me, help me get my eyes fixed on the right thing, Lord. If you're gonna do this, it, you have to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Clear thinking clear thinking about what you were and how Christ saved you and brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so when you watch the world around you, when your circumstances seem to pile in on top of you and it's like, I'm gonna trust the Lord. I'm gonna trust the Lord. Look what he's done for me. Look how he saved me. Look how he continues to lead and direct my life. I don't know your circumstances. I don't know your situation, but I know this. You go through difficulties and what do you lean on in the difficulty? Do you lean on trying harder? Do you lean on working smarter? Or do you lean on, Lord, you're gonna have to lead through this because you always have. You continue to do it. I've seen it in my life before. I've seen it in the lives of people in our church. I've seen it in the way. We were just talking before the service about the way the Lord has provided for your church. It, in places to meet. Just one little thing. One little thing, but awesome. Right? But awesome. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. So clear thinking because of what you were. How about this? Clear thinking because of what you are. In verses four to seven. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Isn't that an amazing verse? Like, just like, take that verse, like, write it on your hand. No, don't write it on your hand. Kids aren't supposed to do that. Don't. Write it somewhere. Put it on the mirror, on, on a piece of paper, on the mirror in your bathroom. Uh, put it in your Bible. Stick it on the fridge door. Put it on the milk jar. Put it wherever, where you'll see it over and over and over again. That verse is an awesome verse. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of his Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When the goodness and loving kindness of God... See, people who think clearly, think about what we are and whose we are. Think about the character of God, the one who keeps us, the one who protects us. Think about him and his attributes and his holiness, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Of his omnipresence, of his omnipotence, of his mercy, of his grace. He, he goes back into this verse and he, he talks about grace um, down in the text a little bit further when he says, um, so that being justified by his grace, we become heirs. Uh, Ephesians 1 talks about being heirs of God and, and what God does for us and what he provides for us. Um, but there are two attributes of God that Paul really focuses on in this text. And they're not the ones that I would have thought you normally focus on. Like I'm a, I'm a mercy and holiness and grace and like, like the big three, the big four, right? When you think about God's attributes, he, he, he takes out two in this text when he says, when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. Think about God's goodness. Uh, three times good works are mentioned in this text. Um, good work comes from the heart of God. A good work is what God did for us in Jesus Christ. Good work is what God does in keeping us. Good work is what God does in delivering us at the end for eternity. That's God's good work in us and for us and what he's accomplishing for us. It's not the good works that we're trying to get saved. It's what God does. God's, God's attribute is his good work. And it talks about his loving kindness, showing compassion on us even when we did not deserve it. His goodness and his loving kindness are pictured in the words, our Savior appeared. Our Savior appeared. At the right time, in the right way, God sent his son, Jesus Christ. Our Savior appeared. In the whole Old Testament, they were looking forward to the Messiah. They were looking forward to the one who was going to make it all right, who was going to fix it all, who was going to, they were, they were doing the sacrifices. They were doing the things they needed to do. They were under the law. They were, and, and in God's time, in God's grace, the Savior came when our Savior appeared in his goodness. That's God's character. And God's character, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is all over you in his working. And, and that's the kind of thinking we need to go back to is God's faithfulness and God's goodness and who he is and what he's done. And, and so when the journey is hard, when the journey is difficult, do you lean in on who God is and what he's done? Or are you just, I just got to get through this. I just got to battle through it. I don't even know what I want to do anymore. And I, I don't know whether how many of you have lived what, what Natalie's living this week with her dad passing after being sick for a period of time. And my understanding was a man who knew the Lord. And, uh, and so that's awesome, right? Like, I want to say this carefully because I don't want to sound flippant, but like, he won big time, right? Where he, he wouldn't want to come back. And we struggle, I get it. We, we struggle with that. But it's so good. I've been texting back and forth with Pastor Ray in the last week and just, just seeing how they're trying to work through and there's some difficult situations and they're trying to be faithful in it and let the Lord work in it. And 
When your hope is not built on who you are and what you think you're accomplishing, that God can work in those circumstances and God's character is so amazing. And I just love the picture when it says, when our Savior, when he appeared, when he appeared, when he appeared, he saved us. There's no salvation in any other way under any name except through Jesus Christ. And it's through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are, we're saved. God's character, that's the next part, that's God's work. He saved us, it says. He saved us. People don't like that word today, saved. But it's all over the New Testament. And, and if, so if you struggle with that, your problem's not with me or a church, your problem's with what, what God teaches us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It, it's not your own doing. It's a gift from God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. He saved us. Ephesians 2, before 8 and 9 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins and he made you alive in Jesus Christ. God doing this awesome work in me. The Bible says, uh, there's none righteous, not even one. No man seeks after God. Left to our own devices, God is on the shelf. We're not going after him. And uh, I love to remind folks about this because we sometimes think, no, 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 but I was on this journey and I was seeking God and I was trying to find him and I was, no. Well, that might've been the end product. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There's not one who's righteous. No one seeks after God. And God did this awesome work in his grace and in his mercy and he reached down and, and yes, we have a responsibility. We put our trust in Jesus Christ. We transfer our trust from ourselves to God to figure all that out when you get to heaven because that's, that's a great challenge for us. But God's goodness and his faithfulness and then in my response, I come to Christ and God's working, he saved me. And it wasn't by our righteousness. It wasn't by what we did. In Isaiah 64, it says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There's no one who calls upon your name who rouses himself to take hold of you for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. We, retire, we require God's righteousness and he reached down and he saved me. He saved me. And I trusted Jesus Christ and that work is finished and he saved me. It wasn't what I brought to the table. It was by his mercy. In verse five, it says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And that speaks just a little bit of the word and we don't, of the work. We don't have time to really get into that too much tonight, but um, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that washing of regeneration, that's God's calling and regeneration and faith. It's not baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Doing good works doesn't save you. Coming to church doesn't save you. Taking communion doesn't save you. Um, for by grace, you are saved through faith. Through faith. 
And then everything else comes out of faith as we serve and live for God and for his glory. If you're here tonight and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you've heard the story of the gospel. This is not, maybe it's not your first time. You've heard the story of the gospel. You've heard the work of Jesus Christ and you're still out there thinking somehow I have to perform. You cannot perform at a level that's ever going to be acceptable to God. As a matter of fact, you're trying to perform, demonstrates, you somehow think you've got it figured out and God's saying, it's a gift. Through my son, Jesus Christ, turn, turn from those crazy thoughts you have in your head, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, be saved. We're justified by grace through faith. The whole doctrine of justification is an amazing doctrine, but at the end of the day, it means that I've been made just like I never sinned. What an awesome thing that God looks down at this wretch and says, paid in full. Carte blanche, just a little bit French, but it means like a white sheet, I believe. There's nothing on the sheet. I have been made just as if I never sinned because my sin was put on Christ and his righteousness was put on me. And when I stand before God and he says, Paul, why should I let you into my heaven? I don't really think it's going to work quite like that, but I stand before God. Why should I let you into my heaven? The answer, if the answer begins with I, then you get the wrong answer. The answer is him. It's him. Why should I let you into my heaven? Because of him, because of what Christ did. Because his righteousness was put on me and my sin was put on him. God declares me to be righteous. Am I always righteous? No. But God sees me through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We have what's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. Christ's righteousness put on, on me. Justification is a huge deal. It, it, is the, it is that beginning piece of, of our walk with God. I am made just as if I never sinned. And now I, I serve out of that for the glory of God, living for him, not to save me, but because he saved me. Um, and that's the process of sanctification that happens in our lives. That's a message for another day, not for today. Look at verse seven. Look at verse seven. So that being justified by his grace, justified by God's gift, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. According to the hope of eternal life. On September the 3rd, I turned 64 years old. I know I don't look that old, but I, I did. Believe me. September the 3rd, 1958. Yeah, some people are like, yeah, you look a lot older than that, so that's okay. Um, when I was 40, when I was 20, I had a harder time getting my arms around the idea of being an heir and what is coming. And now that all four of our parents are gone, like we are the old people, right? So like, we're the next ones to go. Right? So, so thinking about those things is, is more of a reality for me, but it's been sweet for me as well. 
thinking about what God has done and how he's, and so if you're younger, I'm not saying you're gonna fully understand it. I'm gonna say we gotta stop thinking about this world all the time, living for this world all the time. What can I get in this world all the time? How do I get in this world all the time? God is about saving people in this world, but what is to come is what it's really all about. Help us, Lord, to get our eyes fixed on that a little bit more every day for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and what is the price that's paid for others if we don't get our eyes fixed on those things? That's our hope. Well, the last point of this message, clear thinking, what you do, what you do. Um, he says in the first verse, in verse eight, he says this, um, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, so get the order of what goes on here, those who have believed in God, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ may be careful to devote themselves to good works, to good works, uh, serving one another, caring for one another, um, serving the church. Whatever those good works are, they come out of our salvation, but they are what we are to be devoted to. And people who are thinking clearly are thinking about those things, not thinking about their bank account all the time or how many, how many garages there are on their house or how many square feet there are on their place or, or their education. or None of those things are necessarily wrong in and of themselves, but do you focus on good works? on serving the Lord? Do you focus on who's around you and where there's a need and how you can be the answer to that need? Clear thinking. So we're devoted to good works. Not works that save, but works because we're saved. These things are excellent and profitable, the scripture says. People who are thinking clearly are devoted to good works. People who are um, thinking clearly keep the main thing, the main thing. Look at, at verse nine and what it says. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are, they are unprofitable and, and worthless. What's important? What's important? Is it more important that your kids get on the soccer team or follow Jesus Christ? I know you would all say, well, obviously it's more important that we follow Jesus Christ. Well, do, do you really believe that? Do you, do you spend as much time caring about their soul as you care about their soccer equipment and getting them to practice and making sure they've got all the things they need? And that application can happen in so many areas of our life that we would be people of God who keep the main things, the main things. God help me to do that. You understand when a preacher gets up and preaches, a lot of it, there's a mirror, right? And you see your own self and your own. Um, we have two kids who love the Lord who've married two kids who love the Lord. We have six grandkids. We pray for their salvation every day. Um, we're not perfect parents. We never were perfect parents. So don't, don't think like, oh, that guy has it all figured out. No, this guy's just a little smarter than a rock, seeking to serve the Lord best he can with what God has given me. But we need to be people who have right priorities. Titus chapter two, verse one says, but as for you, he's talking to uh, Titus, but as for you, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Like there's a, there's a, a right priority. There's a main thing to keep the main thing. Who is Jesus Christ? 
And who are you in light of that fact? That's keeping the main thing the main thing. Help us, Lord, that we would be people of God who keep the main things the main things and don't get caught up in foolish controversies and genealogies and dissensions and quarrels about the law. For It's unprofitable and worthless. So what are the things you find yourself caught up in? Even as a follower of Christ, what do you find yourself wow, wow, wow about? And it's like, and I'm, I haven't spent time in the word. I'm not worried about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're, you're not keeping the main things the main things. Help me, Lord. Help me to do that. As I serve our churches and, and uh, coming out of COVID, fortunately, I love that word, coming out of COVID, but coming out of COVID and just see the dissension that's happened and the wah, wah, wah that's happened about things that aren't the gospel, things that aren't the word of God, and people have been divided. It's not like, and maybe this is true of your church. Maybe some of you need to get that right with the Lord and get right with each other and get rid of your pride and say, man, I had that messed up. I was so focused on that thing, I lost sight of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Will you forgive me? What'll keep you from doing that? Well, pride will keep you from doing that. But I was right. Who cares? One more thing. People are thinking clearly. They deal with trouble. It's funny how this text ends in up to verse 11, but um, in verse 10 it says, for as a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and he is self-condemned. Um, it doesn't mean we don't care about people, but maybe you've allowed people in your life and they're just warped. They stir up division. And you listen to them. The Bible says, warm them once, then warn them twice, and then get on with your life. Is there somebody like that in your life right now? Does that mean you don't care about them? It doesn't mean that. Does that mean you don't pray for them? It doesn't mean that. But you don't engage in this stuff because this stuff is keeping our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ. Deal with trouble. People, people who are thinking clearly, they deal with trouble in their lives. In Romans 16, 17, and 18, it says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetite and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the idea. The warning is a, a reasoned and definite way. I've thought this through. I'm telling you, you have to stop. And I'm not going to have ears for it anymore. If they're not beyond correction, then they will, they will hear and they will change. But there comes a time when enough is enough. Well, so what? That's how I like to end my messages. I came to church. We need to know the pastor's going to be done in a minute. And so what is a good way to do that? 
as, as you think about this text, as you think about the world we live in, as you think about the things that you are focused on, are you thinking clearly in a foggy world? Have you got your eyes fixed on the Word of God? Have you got your life fixed on Jesus Christ? Or are you finding yourself caught up in the conversations and the discussions of the world, and you're spending 10 times more time in that than you are in the Word of God? God, help us. Remember what you were. Remember you were lost without hope. Remember what you are. You're a child of God. And remember what you do as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to be devoted to good works. I'm going to keep the main things the main things. And I'm not going to be sidetracked by those who don't. And then... It's kind of the foundation underneath it all. Remember where you're going. Remember where your hope is. It's not in this world. Everything in this world is passing away. But the word of God and the work of Jesus Christ will never pass away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for people who are attentive to hear it and who desire to follow you in ways that would bring you glory. Father, I ask that you would give us ears to hear from the power of your spirit tonight. And Father, you would work in us. You would work through us. Father, you would conform us to the image of Jesus Christ. The world, the world is grabbing at us causing us to be distracted over and over and over again. Would we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him went through all of this so that we could have the life we have in Christ. Oh God, teach us, teach us more of you every day for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Church.